Mark chapter 1, begin in verse 1. Brethren, let us hear God's word. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven, saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his precious word this morning. John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ are the focal points of Mark's prologue. Both begin their public ministries by calling sinners to repent. John preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Moreover, he preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Now God sent him to prepare the way for his Holy Son, Jesus the Christ. John called men to repent and to believe on the coming mighty one, as we've just read. One mightier than I. Paul told it to the disciples in Acts 19 that John came baptizing for the remission of sins and telling men to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Likewise, we saw in this passage last week, that Jesus himself called sinners to repent and believe the gospel. 
as we see in verse 15. Now, John and Jesus' crucial emphasis on repentance has led us to consider that very important doctrine. Repentance is a word rarely heard in modern preaching, which is sad to say. At best, it often seems to many a leftover from religious antiquity, a religious fossil dragged up from the past. All we want to do today is just tell people about God's love. To tell them to repent would mean we'd have to tell them to uh, consider themselves sinners, that God would judge them. And that is, in fact, the case. At worst, it's not even mentioned. But repent ye is the command of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he not only called those of his day to repent, but as we saw last week in our final point, we unfolded uh, through numerous scriptures that this was the message that was part of gospel preaching all the way through the missionary labors of the, of the Apostle Paul. He preached unto the Gentiles. Jesus Christ said to go into all the nations and to preach repentance for the remission of sins. <clears throat> Repent ye is the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not simply to the Jews, but to all sinners at all times. It is the first word of his gospel, as Mark records for us. So by God's grace, we want to clearly understand this most important word and what its relation to the gospel is. Now we defined repentance in our last message as a change of mind that leads to a change of lifestyle. A change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. While in both the Old and New Testaments it carries the notion of regret or remorse, this emotional aspect is not the primary emphasis of the biblical writers, either in the Old Testament or in the New. Both Testaments stress a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior, a turning to God or a returning to God. Now, from the numerous passages we considered, we observed that repentance is necessary, first of all, because Jesus commanded it. There were no other reason that would be sufficient. Secondly, we saw that repentance is necessary because men are sinful. Jesus was sent to be a Savior From sin, not a buddy, not our pal. Certainly he is the friend of sinners and we love to sing that. But we don't mean it in a foolish, fleshly, sentimental way. When he is the friend of sinners, we don't mean in the common sense uh, 
that we often see today, which is often nonsense. Jesus is my co-pilot. He's my buddy. He's my running partner. This kind of stuff. Jesus came to be a savior of sinners. As we saw last week, he, he identified his own mission, brethren, as coming to call sinners to repentance. He's calling men to turn, to change their minds and go another way. If men remain in their sins, they will be damned for all eternity. And for that reason, repentance, thirdly, was necessary and is necessary because, as Scripture plainly reveals, there is no salvation without it. There is no salvation without it. So we return to this wonderful passage again today to take up the vital subject of repentance. Once again, title of our message this morning is Repent Ye and Believe. Repent Ye and Believe. We want to consider it under these heads, God willing. First, we want to consider the elements of repentance. Secondly, we want to consider the urgency of repentance. And finally, we want to consider the partner of repentance. So, trusting the Lord in His mercies, let us take up the elements of repentance. As we see, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ begins with John the Baptist coming on the scene and calling Israel to repent. And then, following his imprisonment, the Lord Jesus Christ comes and he calls men to repent. And as verse 15 tells us, he called them to repent and to believe. Now, we've defined repentance. This morning, we want to take up the elements of repentance. And the first one is a change of mind about sin. If it is a change of mind that leads to a change of action, we have to go to the root of the problem. What is the problem? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Brethren, this isn't something that we simply apply to mass murderers. This is not something that simply applies to Adolf Hitler or to all of the ones we can dredge up from history that we would call particularly evil men. They, for some reason, have become the standard of what is the consummate evil. But brethren, every one of us is born with a wicked, sinful heart. Every one of us, the precious babes being held in their mother's arms here this morning, 
left to themselves, the word of God says, will bring their mother's shame. And very often, even when we've done the best we can to teach and to train them, they bring us shame. Why? Because they're sinners. As beautiful and lovely as they are while we hold them, and they make all those precious little sounds that babies make, they are sinners in desperate need of redemption. We are sinners by nature, sinners from the womb. The Word of God tells us that the carnal mind is enmity against God. By your very nature, you are God's enemy, no matter how sweet and fine a fellow some of us may think you to be. Or no matter how kind uh, a lady some of us may think you to be. Every one of us falls short of God's requirement of absolute perfection. The standard is not me. Heaven forbid. The standard is not you. The standard is not Billy Graham or the Pope or Charles Spurgeon or Arthur Pink or any of the men that we may look back to through the Scriptures. The standard was not Paul himself as such. The standard begins with the revelation of the, the, uh, the character and the will of God in His law. And the law demands perfect righteousness. If the law requires perfect righteousness, then we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And we are sinners in desperate need of righteousness, in desperate need of redemption. We cannot work it up in ourselves, and we can't get it from other men. We love our sins, and we are in a desperate condition. Friend, you love your sins. And you will not part with them except God in His mercy grant you a new heart. Unless God in His grace grants you light to see that you are lost and that those cherished sins will damn you. And they will. You've watched it over and over, I'm sure. You know, someone who trying to stop smoking and they do okay for a while and then they're back to it again or you you find someone who's uh, uh, an alcoholic and they 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 try to dry out for a while and then they're they're back on it we we have had the the sadness of having to deal with cocaine addicts over the years and we have watched them seem to do okay for a little while and then fall back into their sins Oh, brethren, it's no different when you make your little New Year's resolutions. I'm not going to do this anymore. Or I'm going to try not to do that anymore. Or I'm going to try to start doing this. 
and within a 24 hours or maybe a week, or perhaps if you're a really staunch crusader, you might make it a month. But we can never seem to live up even to the standards that we make. We are sinners. We set up our own standards and then we fall away from them. We have to lower the bar just a little bit each time. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The Hebrew there can be translated incurably sick. That is why one of the the very (coughs) illustrations of the new birth is God giving us a new heart, not fixing the old one. When we consider the first 15 verses of Mark's Gospel, we must first reckon with the issue of sin. John is depicted as the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Oh, God loves you! And just has a wonderful plan for your life. If that isn't what he said, is it? There might have been some people that didn't think John was very loving. Here's a fellow who comes into the wilderness, exploding onto the scene, wearing camel's hair and eating locusts. And what does he do? Oh, God loves you. He just wants you to let him into your life. If you would just take what we normally hear on the radio or what we hear on some so-called gospel sermon tapes and then go back and read John and then read Jesus and then read Paul, we'd have to think, those guys didn't seem to have the message down very well. John did not start off with people being sick, with people just having problems, asking them if they wanted to see their solve, their problems solved. John didn't start off with people saying to them, you know, I want to be your friend. And he got up real close to him and then kind of slowly started easing the gospel around the corner on him. John came out and said, Repent. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times when we get to know people and use wisdom in the way that we witness to them. But my point is that today, if you take what we hear today and look at the Gospels, we're hearing two different things. John didn't say, Are you lonely? Are you unhappy? God can make it better. Why don't you let God do this or do that? God being preached today is someone we give permission to. Well, we let God do this. We let God do that. We allow God this. Brethren, that's not the God of Scripture. God is a God of holiness 
purity. And He is a God of love. But until men understand their sinfulness and that their problem is their hearts, this gospel won't do them any good. This is a gospel for sinners. But that's what makes it good news. If you are a sinner, God saves sinners. The good news is good news for those who have been prepared for the Lord. John went to whom? Did he go out to the Assyrians? Did he go out to the Gentile nations and go among the harlots and the, uh, the drug takers? Is that who he went to? He went to the covenant people of God. And he said, You must repent of your sins. Israel had been quiet for 400 years. No prophet from God. And then John appears and the words from his mouth address the issue that must always be addressed if you are calling people to Jesus Christ. Thou shalt call His name Jesus because He shall help people feel better about themselves. No, He shall save His people from their sins. And that's good news to the heart prepared. And that's exactly what John was doing. He was preparing a people for the Lord. Preparing a people for the Lord. So he called them to repent of their sins. He's depicted as the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make His paths straight. Why did the paths have to be straightened out? Because as He was coming to His people, they were a stiff-necked, a crooked, a sinful, a hard-hearted people. And John was there to talk to them about all the obstacles and the mountains and the valleys that they'd set up in the path of the Lord. He called them to repent of their sins. It seems clear <clears throat> that this issue of preparing a people for the Lord and making His paths straight is directly tied to verse 4. There is the quote there from the prophets, and then John did baptize in the wilderness. Mark doesn't leave his subject. He immediately launches into it. The prophets have said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. John. You see the connection? John is the voice crying in the wilderness. And what did he do? He baptized in the wilderness and preached the, the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Do you want to help people 
you can do no greater help for them than to make them see from the Word of God and trusting the Spirit of God that they are sinners and that God in His mercy and grace has provided a Savior for sinners. In verse 5, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judea were baptized of Him in the river of Jordan, confessing that their moms and dads didn't raise them right. Confessing that they weren't treated right by the bullies at school, and that's why they do what they do. No, that's not what they did. They confessed that they were rebels against God. They confessed that they were sinners. They confessed that they lived the way they wanted to live. And friend, that's what you are, apart from the Savior. And that's why we need to repent. We need to change our minds. We will follow and love our sins until we're in hell. Except God in His mercy cause us to see that Jesus is the Savior from sinners. But in order for you to turn, in order for you to get to Christ, there must be some change of mind about sin. If you say, well, I'm going to hang on to my sin, but I don't want to go to hell, so I'll say I'll believe this stuff. You haven't repented. I remember once, in my very early days, as I was going out, talking with people on the street, I came up to a man who was sitting, began to talk to him about the things of Christ. He said, I'm not interested. And I was earnest. I wanted him to come to the church where there was preaching. I wanted him to hear the Word of God. I said, would you consider your soul? Would you come to the church? Just come and hear the Word of God. Come, come and hear about Christ. Just come, would you please? And he said, what do I have to give up? That's the sound of the lost heart. Well, I'm not too interested in what you have, unless it doesn't cost me anything. Now, the glory of the gospel is that it is about the free grace of God. It is God's holy grace. You can't buy salvation. But you'll never want salvation from sin. You'll never want a Savior from your sins unless you change your mind about your sin. If you don't realize that it's like holding a viper to your bosom that will bite and sting you and destroy you, you'll never change your mind about it. The Apostle Paul says, In time past, he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's me. That's you who's saying this. A religious man. You can be religious and dead in your trespasses and sins. Religion saves no one. Do you hear? Religion saves no one. The outward practice of rituals and ceremonies do not give a new heart. From the vilest of sinners to the Pharisees who were dead men's bones inside those whited sepulchers. Every man outside of Christ is lost. And he needs to see his sin for what it is. And he needs to turn his eyes upon Jesus to save him from his sins. And I want to make another point about this. Very often, this idea of so-called preaching the gospel is simply, well, you don't want to go to hell, right? Well, believe in Jesus. Well, none of us wants to go to hell. Who wants to go to hell? But if we read the Scriptures carefully, it doesn't say, Thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from hell. It says, Thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. From their sins. The very things that send them to hell. That's what He saves them from. As a child, I was scared. I didn't want to go to hell. The thought of a place that burned forever and me being in it was terrifying to me. I heard a preacher preach a message about hell and he, and he gave this illustration that I, I won't give before you this morning, but it was the most graphic illustration of someone burning I'd ever heard in my life and I couldn't sleep for days. But I was scared of the flames, not my sins. If you would have Jesus, you need to see your sins so that you will turn to the Savior from sins. A change of mind that leads to a change of action. Secondly, repentance is a change of mind about self. It's a change of mind about self. It's not only a change of mind about our sins, but it's a change of mind about ourselves. As I said, we love our sins. We go back to our sins because we like them. Oh, we may weep. We may cry after we've committed them. We may bawl uh, to the very uh, heart Uh, The tears may flow off our chins because we've made a mess, because we've hurt somebody's feelings, uh, because we've made ourselves ashamed. Uh, 
But we very rarely ever are ashamed of our sin. We're ashamed of the things I got into because of it. But rarely the sin. I believe I've shared with you before, but it bears repeating. I worked for some time with a young man addicted to crack. And he'd done a fairly good dry-out time in comparison to some of the others, and we continued to be long-suffering with him and praying with him and pointing him to Christ. He got arrested, and I got a, a call from his parents, please. He's down in this jail, please come talk to him. So I went down there, and there he was. We were sitting in a, a big bullpen where all the other prisoners that were able to come and visit were visiting with relatives and family, and there was a, a loud noise as everyone was talking. And We were sitting right in the middle of the room, and here he sits in his orange uniform, tears running off of his chin. He says, I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of here. I said, why? He said, I don't belong in here. I don't belong in here. I said, actually you do. You've been breaking the law. You've been caught breaking the law. He said, I'm not like these people. That's the lost heart. See, if you can look at the other sinners all around you and say, oh, I mess up once in a while. I'm sad about some of the things I do, but I'm not like them. You are lost where you sit. You are a sinner and you deserve God's richest condemnation. If you do not see this, well, you'll never change your mind about yourself. Never. Your sins are understandable. Everybody else's are really bad. You did this because of the circumstances you were in. You did that because of various things. But they do it because they're bad. Real repentance involves a change about our a change of mind about ourselves. All of a sudden, we do realize that we are wicked. Not just that we've done some bad things, but that we ourselves are bad. And you see, if you change your mind you'll want a savior instead of thinking that well it's okay when you do these sins the heart of repentance stops looking at everyone else and says Lord I deserve your richest punishment 
I deserve whatever you want to do to me. I was telling one of the children in the congregation this week about a truck driver that I met. <clears throat> and he and I were sitting, eating. It was a conference that I was speaking in. He was sitting next to me and he began some God talk. And after a few minutes of listening to him, I knew that what he was saying was empty and hollow. So I, I just kind of stopped him for a minute. I said, let me ask you a question. What, what would you say if you were standing before God? And he said to you, I'm going to put you in hell. What would you say? He didn't have to think long. He'd say, well, that's not right. And I said, well, why wouldn't that be right? He said, because I'm not that bad. That's the sound of a heart that's never repented. Does that sound like you? Well, other people really do bad stuff. I'm not that bad. If you can still be saying, I'm not that bad, friend, the Holy Spirit hasn't talked to you. The Holy Spirit hasn't dealt with your heart. You might have some religious spirit leading you around by the nose, thinking that because you do this and you do that, you're all right with God. But there's a change of mind about yourself in real repentance. And you realize no arguments, your mouth is shut before God, and whatever you do with me, I deserve. That begins to sound like the repentance of the Bible. A change of mind about sin. A change of mind about ourself. And finally, there's a change of mind about God. A change of mind about God. When we repent, we know that we have a new awareness of His holiness. We have a new awareness of His righteousness and His justice. If that sounds foreign to you, then we need to talk about it for just a few moments. As I said a while ago, the banner that everyone wants to fly today is God is love, as if that's the only verse in the Bible. As if this was the only characteristic of God. But brethren, when we're so shown in the Bible scenes of heaven, the angels of God are not flying around the throne going love, love, love. Are they? What are they saying? Holy, holy, holy. That's what the angels say about God. One of the reasons we don't take the love God too seriously is we don't think the love God would put us in hell forever. Now, I'm not saying that we need to go out and immediately tell people that God is simply a cosmic volcano ready just to explode at any moment. We don't want to be imbalanced about God. But brethren, today's preaching is imbalanced in the main 
because it doesn't tell men that God is holy, that God is righteous, that God is just, and because He's holy, He must hate sin, and He must judge sin. And that is why there is a hell. We must tell people, we must tell sinners that God is holy and that they break His laws every day. And that with every moment that they're living, they are treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath. We don't want to talk about a wrathful God. We don't want to talk about an angry God. But brethren, you can't bring the gospel if you do not make men know that they are sinners. True repentance involves a change of mind about God. Whatever our views of God were before, we come to a clear recognition that in His courtroom we are guilty. That He is, in fact, a judge. Paul preaching to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 17 in his initial sermon to them tells them of the day, the coming day of judgment when God will judge all men by Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, oh, God loves you. Would you just let God do this? He says he's the sovereign God who set the boundaries and all men and all things descend from Him. And He commands all men everywhere now to repent because the day is coming when He's going to judge all men by the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul preached that. He wasn't afraid to tell men <clears throat> that the God who is love is a God who will judge. If we truly repent, we will not only change our minds, we will not only have a better view of who He is as a holy and righteous God, we'll also have a, a different attitude about His, his love we will actually realize that He's not like a doddering old grandfather, but that the holy and just judge of the universe sent His only begotten Son to save His people from their sins. And He loved His children so much that His holy Son Jesus Christ kept the law for them, which they'd never kept. And He died upon the cross for them, which they deserve. And He was raised again the third day, His sacrifice being accepted by the God of heaven and earth, so that all sinners who come to Him, who all sinners who change their minds about their sin, who change their minds about themselves, who change their minds about God may really see His love as it truly is. That Jesus was broken 
and crushed in the place of sinners. There's the love of God. Do you want to understand God's mercy, God's grace, God's love? Look at the cross of Christ. Look at the Lord Jesus. will change our minds about His Lordship as well. If the Lord is dealing with us, our repentance will not only be a change of mind about our sin, about ourself, and about God, His justice, His love, but about His rule as well. We'll see that He rightfully rules, And we will bow to Him. He is the Lord. This is exactly what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. He said, God the Father has made Him both Lord and Christ. You don't make Him Lord. He already is. And you either bow in obedience to His Lordship or you are living in rebellion against it. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, 
as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.